Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, praise the Lord. We've been on a great journey this month in this series, Meeting Places. And, uh, you know, whether you know it or not, we've been on a journey through the history of what God was working towards. And we have arrived, we have arrived at what the Lord has been, listen, for thousands of years, working towards. As today we conclude the series, looking at the church, looking at The church, you know, Pastor Craig uh, last week talked about the temple, the temple of Solomon and the reality of glory in Scripture. You know, there's several words or phrases, simple words or phrases that can summarize the entirety of the gospel of God. They're, They're words that sort of give you a large scope of what God has been doing and working towards. And glory is one of those. In fact, when you think of glory, glory connects with the gospel. And it connects with the eternal purpose of God. And so today, as we conclude this series, I want to read one passage out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. It's what is referred to as a pastoral epistle, even though Timothy uh, was more of an apostolic delegate, meaning he was sent by an apostle to Ephesus. And of course, he did pastoral ministry uh, there in Ephesus, but it was to set things in order and to oversee the growth that was taking place there. And so Paul writes in this letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 and verse Fourteen. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and ground of the truth. Notice that. The pillar and ground of the truth. Let me pray. Father, we thank You that because of You and Your Gospel and the good news of Your Son, You have made a way for us to be able to approach You, for us to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. What a blessedness it is to know that our transgressions and our previous sins in life have been forgiven, that we have been brought into right standing with You, that we can boldly come to Your throne of grace to receive mercy and more grace and help in our time of need. And Lord, I pray that by Your Spirit we'd all know today that we have needs. 
And therefore, we should boldly come to you to receive, to encounter your grace, the power of your good news in Jesus Christ. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. Continue to build your church, King Jesus. We'll give you the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Recently, uh, my son and I had the opportunity to go to the High Museum there in Atlanta. And as we were walking through the galleries, looking at different paintings and sculptures, we came to a, an oil on canvas that was painted by a gentleman many scores of years ago. And it was a painting of Abraham and his son Isaac, where in Scripture God tells Abraham to take his promised seed, his promised child, Isaac and to go and to offer him to God. And I was reading the description next to the the painting and about the author and and then the museum describing what the painting was about. And it said that this is a painting of the biblical story where Abraham sacrifices his son. And as I read that, I just instantly began to shake my head and said, you missed the whole point. The museum missed the whole point because the whole point of that story in Scripture is Abraham didn't offer his son. That God told Abraham, turn around. And God had provided a ram that was stuck in the thicket by its horns. That God provided the sacrifice. And the whole story in Scripture of Abraham and Isaac is it demonstrates the type of trust that God desires from His creation regarding the provision that He's provided. And as I thought about that and meditated on that, I thought about how you can see a picture and miss the point. You can describe a picture and miss the point. You can support and even hang a picture in a museum and still miss the point. And I thought, dear God, the same can be true regarding God's eternal purpose. The same can be true in places of worship and meeting places all around America and around the world that you can have people that see and read Scripture attend gatherings with God's people and possibly still miss the point. Miss the eternal point. Miss the main point. What God has been doing, or what God has done. And so today as we conclude this series, we've been on a journey looking at the altar, and then the tabernacle of Moses, and then the temple of Solomon, of how God through thousands of years was journeying to make His main point, His eternal purpose, His main goal clear. That He had been working for thousands of years towards this end goal. And today we arrive and we ask God today to help us and to ensure that we not miss the main point. That we not miss God's eternal purpose of what He has been working towards. When you look in the beginning and the story of the beginning recorded in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1, it says that God created. 
mankind in His image. And He created them male and female. And then in Genesis 8, it describes this creation story more. It says that God, when He created Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, that humans were crowned with glory and honor. And yet, we lost that glory through sin. We lost that glory because Scripture says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When I think about paintings and think about museums and think about art, I think about how many paintings of Adam and Eve in the garden pre-sin have you ever seen correct? See, most people today in Western Christianity still don't understand in the beginning, how God created you and I and our purpose. Because so many paintings show Adam and Eve naked. And yet God didn't create in the beginning them naked. They were crowned, they were clothed, that's another way to understand crown, with glory and honor. In fact, the family, we were just talking about this the other day, I don't even know how it came up. But Alana spoke up. She said, yeah, in my Bible, they have Eve's hair long covering her body. And I said, yes, that's unbiblical. Go get it right now off the shelf. We're going to burn it today. (laughs) And though that is funny, uh, it does bring up another danger in the day we live in, and that's cancel culture. Listen to me. There's a danger in cancel culture in the sense of something not being all good that it can be canceled. Listen to me, friend. Listen to me, you listening. There is none who is all good except God. You would be canceled. Your business would be canceled. You can cancel everything if you are looking for something to be all good. And so we didn't burn her little little kid's Bible because though it missed that point in the story... Though it isn't all good, that doesn't mean it needs to entirely be burned or canceled. But in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, they were clothed with the glory of God, the light, the weightiness, the the authority, the glory of God. They were clothed with God's light. Genesis 28, as the story continues in the beginning, we come to... Jacob. Now Jacob has an encounter, a present encounter with the living God. And it says in verse 14, God in this encounter tells Jacob, He says, Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Watch this. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. That's what I want. I want some people here today. I want some people listening today. I want some people in America today to awake from your sleep. Just like Paul said in the New Testament, awake from your sleep, awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake to righteousness and be empowered to walk in victory. He says, he awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. 
And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is a good afraid. This ain't bad afraid. This is the reverential fear that God deserves. That He is God and we are not. That's why he says, How awesome in this place. And he says, This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And this stone which I have set as a pillar, verse 22, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you, Jacob said back to God. Notice here, Jacob has this encounter. And he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. And out of this, surely the Lord is in this place in this encounter, he builds a pillar. He builds something. And he says that this pillar shall be God's house. Now remember that because then we come to 1 Kings and 8. We come to the story where God has now, through Solomon and people of Solomon's day that were gifted by God, built the temple. And in 1 Kings 8 and verse 10, as they dedicate the temple of Solomon, it says, And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said He would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Notice Solomon's phrase here. I have surely built you. When Jacob encounters the Lord, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place. Then as God's story continues towards what God's eternal purpose is and what God throughout history is trying to accomplish, we come to the next progression where then Solomon says, Surely I have built you. And after he built this temple, it said that the glory filled the house. What you see here is a pattern of what God does and how God works. That there is a progression from surely the Lord is in this place to surely I have built for you, then surely the glory fills. It's glory revealed, glory builds, and glory fills. Will you say it with me? Glory revealed, glory builds, and then glory fills. This is the pattern you see of how God progresses, what, how God works in the way of God. You see it in the pattern of the tabernacle of Moses. The glory of God, the pattern is revealed. He gives it to Moses. Moses encounters the glory of God. And then that surely of clarity and encountering the Lord leads to then they build the tabernacle. Then once the tabernacle is built, then God's glory fills the tabernacle. You see it in Solomon's temple. Solomon has the glory revealed, the plans of the Spirit revealed to him by his, his father David, who the Spirit gave him the plans and the resources for the temple. Then the glory and the grace and the ability of God through Solomon and those that were uh, anointed and, and, and um, gifted by God, artisans and craftsmen, they build the temple and then the glory fills the temple. Then this brings us to Jesus. What about Jesus in this pattern of glory revealed, glory builds, and then glory fills? Well, in John 1.14, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. 
The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus comes and we see glory revealed. We see the express image of the Father. We see the, the clearest demonstration and declaration of God regarding His glory in Jesus. Then what does Jesus do? The glory in Jesus builds. What does it build? It begins to build men and women and a community of followers and disciples. And then after the community of men and women and disciples are built, what happens? The glory fills those men and women. The glory fills that new temple. Think about the pattern. As Jesus goes about His ministry, the glory of God is revealed. Scripture says that the glory was revealed through miracles. The glory was revealed through the works that He performed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with Him. And it says that the glory of God was revealed through His teachings. That His teachings weren't just words, but they were spirit in life that the glory of God was revealed through the miracles and the works of Jesus and the words of life through the lips of Jesus. Then that community of men and women was built and then the glory filled them. Watch this pattern. Watch the type in the Old Testament. In Exodus 40 and verse 33, when Moses finishes after the glory has been revealed and now the glory has led to the tabernacle being built, watch what happens? Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Mo Moses finished the work. Somebody say, finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What happened after the work was finished? Then the glory filled the tabernacle. The glory filled what the glory had revealed and then the glory built. You say, Pastor Chad, what do you mean by the glory built? Because once God's glory reveals something, the same God who revealed it is the God who then performs it through us. So God revealed the pattern to the tabernacle of Moses, but then the glory of God provided the skills and the things necessary for the people to be used of Him to build it. It wasn't the craftsmen and the people working in their own humanity. It wasn't the craftsmen working in their own ability. God supernaturally provided by His glory ability and craftsmanship and skills to build what the glory had revealed God desired. But watch this, don't ever miss it. Once the work was finished, what happened? The glory filled it. The glory filled it. What about Jesus? Jesus there on the cross, He's hanging between heaven and earth in complete surrender and obedience to the Father. And He says, as He gives up His Spirit, it is finished. He goes into the heart of the earth for three days. There, declaring and preaching to the spirits that are in prison. Declaring the victory over Satan. And He takes the keys to Satan's kingdom. Death, hell, and the grave. And on the third day, God raises him from the dead and he spends 40 days declaring the kingdom, declaring the victory to those closest to him. And then as those closest to him, the disciples and the, who become the apostles watch him, he ascends into heaven. The Bible says he goes into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because he finished the work. What's the pattern? What happened when Moses finished the work? Then the glory filled. And in Acts 2 and 32, verse 30 
through 33, it says, This is Jesus. God, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Watch this. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. What do you have? You have the glory revealed through Jesus. You have the glory building through Jesus. Men and women, a new temple, a new tabernacle, a new house of God. And then what happens when the building process is finished? Then the glory filled those men and women. We see the account in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What do you have? You have Jesus revealing the glory of God. You have Jesus through the glory building a new temple a new tabernacle, a new house for God. And then when the work's finished, He sits down at the right hand of the Father. He receives the promise of the Holy Spirit and He pours out the Holy Spirit and the glory of God fills the new temple, fills the, the new church of God. And the New Testament church was born on the day of Pentecost. Glory revealed, glory builds, and then glory fills. This brings us to the church and to our main passage today. Look at 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Notice this. The church of the living God is the house of God. The church of the living God is the house of God. This leads us to the question, what is the church? Well, first you need to understand the word that we see and read in English church is the Greek word ecclesia or ecclesia. It was a common word and a common practice in the days of Jesus, in the days of the early or Greek culture in the early church. It is an official gathering of people that have been called out of one place into a public assembly. And so the ecclesia or ecclesia was when people would be called out of their homes or whatever and they would gather into a public assembly for a specific purpose. And Jesus chooses this Greek word of what He is building. That He's building a church. He's building a group of people that have been called out of something and called to something that will assemble or gather for a specific purpose. So the church of Jesus Christ is the gathering of those who have been called out of sin and the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. It's the gathering of those that have been called out of darkness into the light of Jesus Christ. It's the public assembling and gathering 
of those who have responded to the call of God through Jesus Christ, the good news, to come out of sin, come out of darkness, be reconciled to your Creator through Jesus, and come in under and come into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what church is. But what's a local church? A local church is a local gathering of those who have been called out of darkness and into the kingdom of Christ. But here's what you need to understand. Ecclesia, or, or the, the Greek word for our English word church, it was a governmental and official gathering. This is important. Because notice, the church is the gathering of a people that have been called out of something into something. What have we been called out of from? Our sin, Satan's kingdom, our selfishness. But what have we been called into? Watch this, a kingdom. So when we gather, we are gathering as people in Jesus' kingdom. Meaning, it is an official kingdom gathering. This is why what we're a part of right now, this is why this is not like a TED Talk. This is not going to KSU to, and, and, and signing up for a class. Listen, this is a gather, a kingdom gathering under the authority and in the name of the King Jesus. What that means is, is His power and His authority is present. And it's an official gathering to declare His purpose, to declare His will, and to encounter Him. This is why apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, according to Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, do not call themselves. Meaning, they don't send themselves to start churches. Why? They have to be sent by the Lord. Because the church, the public gathering of Jesus' disciples, for it to be official, for there to be authority, it has to be of the Lord's creating, from the Lord's sending people. We don't send ourselves. It has to be according to God's sovereign call, under His authority, under His governing, under His office. There is not to be a self-sending. And so what happens is, is the glory is revealed to people. And in that glory, in that counter, God says, I'm calling you to equipping ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, pastor. Then He sends them and the glory, the gifting, the call on them builds what it is the Lord once built. But what's the pattern? Then God wants to feel what has been built. You remember when Jacob has the encounter? You see the same themes. Encounter. The house of God. He says, how awesome is this place? You and I, when we gather as the church, we gather under the authority of Jesus and in the name. His name represents His authority. It's official business. See, when you're at work, if you work for uh, Charter Communications, if you work for Cobb County Education, when you go and perform something, 
you are performing it under the authority and the name of that company. You are representative of that company. When we gather in His name, we are gathering under the authority and as representatives of Jesus and His kingdom. It's official business. The Lord wants to have His kingdom and His work take place when we gather together. Notice Jacob after he says, Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. He says, How awesome is this place. You and I, when we understand what the church is, that it's the gathering of God's people under the authority of the King, Jesus, that it's an official governmental moment of where the governing of God wants to go forth. God governs for our benefit. He, he governs for our healing. He governs for our deliverance. God's governing isn't restricting us from God's best. God's governing protects us from Satan's best, Satan's worst, what he wants to do in our life, so that God's best can prevail in our life. But notice we should have a heart that says, how awesome is this place? Why? Because God is here. The King's authority is here. The King's power is present. The working of the King, Jesus, can take place. This, our you and I, when we gather, we are the house of God, and it is awesome. Why? We, because we are the redeemed of the Lord. We are the Lord's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works He prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And God's desire is that by the Holy Spirit, you and I would have memorable moments as we gather where we say, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. I didn't know it in this way. I didn't know that the Lord was in this place as provider. I didn't know it that the Lord was in this place as we gather as my peace. I didn't know it that the Lord was in this place as Jehovah Rapha, my healer. I didn't know that the Lord was in this place as my righteousness. I didn't know that the Lord was in this place as my sanctification. I didn't know that the Lord was in this place as my shepherd. But we would have memorable moments that surely the Lord is in this place. Therefore, how awesome is the place where God's people dwell as God's house? Because what did Paul say? He said that the church, the gathered people that have been called out of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the gathered church of the living God is God's house. And because when we gather, we're God's house, we should allow the owner of the house to have his way. We should come not seeking and prioritizing our way and our wants. We should come prioritizing God's wants and God's ways. Why? Because when we gather, we are his house. We are his house. And we should say, how awesome is this place? Lord, have your way. You remember when Jacob has the encounter, he sets up the pillar and he says, this is God's house. And he says, therefore, my tithe's going to be here. Of everything God gives me, I'm going to give 10%. You know what we learned from that? We learned that where the church of the living God gathers, there we are to tithe or to give 10%. 
where the church gathers, that's where the tithe goes. Why? It's the house of God. And he says it's the gate of heaven. Now when you think about a house, there are doors. A door can be open, a door can be closed. When you think about gates, gates can be open, they can be closed. And what you learn here in this encounter for Jacob is he says this is the house of God and the tithe goes there. What that means is, is when the tithe doesn't go there, God's gate, God's door for our finances can close. But when we honor God with the tithe, His gate, His door stays open in our area of finances. What, what are you saying? Listen, you can experience natural means in your area of finances or you can open the door and the gate of God's supernatural favor on your finances. And the tithe is one of the ways. See, too much, and I'll talk more about it in a minute, in a minute of, of Western Christianity is people depending on natural means. But biblical Christianity is that we have access to supernatural. We have access for God's supernatural power to come upon the natural things of life. Meaning some of you are missing out on God can do more. He can do more. Notice what also our main text says. He says that... The church of the living God is the house of God. And then he says, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church of the living God, the gathering of God's called out people, those called out out of sin into his, the salvation in Christ and His kingdom, we are the primary support for truth. When it comes to our neighborhood, when it comes to schools, when it comes to this city, when it comes to this region, when it comes to this nation, listen, the church of Jesus Christ is the primary support for truth and reality of how God has designed and how reality in this world is. Now when you think about a pillar, pillars are not intended to shake. Pillars hold up houses and structures. If the pillars shake, then they'll crumble and the whole thing will fall apart. When John the Baptist was sent by God and he was out in the desert declaring the truth of God, later they said, Who did you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Did you go out to see a man who one day said, this is truth, and the next day said, this is truth? Who one day said, this is God's way, and the next time said, this is God's way? Did you go out to see a man that was always changing the standard of what truth was? He said, no. You went out to hear the voice, a consistent voice, a voice of truth. Listen to me, as the church of Jesus Christ, this is what we are called to be, the consistent voice of of God's truth. We are not called to be shaken regardless of culture, regardless of political winds, regardless of opinions of men. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are to be the pillar and the support of reality and truth. Psalms 11 and verse 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations of what is truth are destroyed, what can we do? Because we are called to support the truth. The foundation of God's truth is unchanging truth. 
And that's why you have churches today that are no longer churches according to God's pattern. Because they're no longer a place of consistent truth. They shake based on what's popular. They, they lure immature people who have a desire for God but have not yet matured. And Ephesians 4 says they toss people to and fro. They toss babes to and fro through their cunning trickiness and deceitfulness. No longer a place of truth, pillars of truth. But by God's help, we seek Him a dwelling place to be our strength, to hold fast to His unchanging truth, to support God's truth, to be a place that we're not seeking to preach our truth, our opinion, our perspective, but to declare God's unchanging truth. When you think about your life and you think about how God can use you in this community, how you can be a pillar in this church, but to be a pillar, listen, you have to consistently be in a place. Think about this. A person can't be a pillar in a place if they're not consistently there. God can raise you up in this church to be a pillar, to be a support of His truth, His gospel, His goodness. But it takes consistency to be a pillar in God's gathering of His people. I want us to look at 1 Timothy 4 and 16. Paul continues in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and 16. He says, take heed to yourself, to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now this is powerful. First, notice that Paul says that you and I have a role to play in this saving work that he mentions here. Meaning this saving work that he's talking about here is not something that passively just automatically happens in our life or to us. He says what? You have to take heed to yourself and to the truth, the doctrine. And if you take heed and if you continue, that means if you do what God asks you to do, then this type of saving will be experienced. Now this is important because the word save there in English is the Greek word sozo. And sozo includes all that God has for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. It means this, present experiences of God's power to deliver from the bondage of sin. Do you know why many people, though they're born again and they're here, as a member of the house of God, the gathered people under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and yet they still are in bondages to sin or oppression of the enemy, is because we've embraced a lie and we're not supporting or holding to a truth of God. What truth are you talking about, Pastor Chad? Well, it can be many, but the one I'm focusing on in this moment is one I mentioned two weeks ago that there is a difference between the omnipresence of God, God being everywhere, and having a present encounter with His presence. Now watch this. Because many have not held to that truth that God teaches in His Word and through Scripture, that there is a difference between His omnipresence being everywhere and having a present encounter 
with His presence, then many people are still in bondage when the King died and rose again for you to be free. So the church, when we gather, is a moment in the present for us to encounter His presence that will deliver us from sins and things that's trying to hold us down or keep us in bondage. When you think about that and understand that, then you understand why Jacob, when he got glory revealed, said, how awesome is this place? Why? Because when we gather, it's an opportunity right in your present circumstances, right in your present oppression, right in the present weightiness of trials and things you're facing, right in the present moment of besetting sins and afflicting sins and oppression and torments of the enemy, it is an opportunity right in the present to have an encounter with God's saving power to deliver you from that. To heal you from that. To free you from that. And we, listen to me, there's too much at stake for us to be a gathering of God's people and community where having those present sozo, saving, delivering, and present encounters with God's power is the minority instead of the norm. Listen, I grew up in a church, a mainline church, that didn't talk about this type of salvation. I grew up that a church that just talked about being saved or not saved in the sense of eternity. But be, when we let go of God's truth and we don't support the pillar of the doctrine and the faith handed down once and for all, then what happens is you have people waiting for heaven or waiting for the return of Jesus and miserable while we're waiting with no expectancy with no hunger of how awesome is the place when we gather. Why? Because they've let go of the truth or never been taught the truth or they believe the lie that they can't have a present encounter with God's saving and delivering power right in the midst of their hurt, right in the midst of their sickness, right in the midst of their brokenness, right in the midst of their dysfunction, right in the midst of their worry. And so what happens is then you have one or two I grew up in a large mainline denomination, meaning the church was large. But you'd have one or two occasionally, a couple times a year, that would come to the altar. But because that was the minority instead of the majority of expectation, and people were like, oh my God, wonder what they're going through. They must really be struggling to get up after months on months and to come to the altar. Listen, that's not the pillar of truth that we're to support. The pillar of truth is, is how awesome is this place when we gather? It is a place where the king's official business can be encountered right in the present moment you're facing. And you say, what's the king's official business? Well, look what he did when he went on the earth. He didn't let those that were sick stay sick. He didn't let those who wanted to be free from depression to not get free. He didn't want those... He set the oppressed free. And He liberated those longing for a freedom of His kingdom. That's the King's official business. So the pattern is glory revealed. 
glory fields and glory fields. Listen, many of you had, had, have had the glory of God revealed. And you have confessed Jesus as your Lord. And many of you have allowed the glory to build in your life a habit of coming to the gathering. But what I'm trying to show you is the pattern of God's ways and the pattern throughout thousands of years He demonstrated is that then, once you have the glory revealed and the glory builds some in your life, then the glory wants to fill it. And God wants, now that you're here week after week, Sunday after Sunday, He wants to fill you. He wants to fill you with an experience of His saving power from that thing that besets you, that thing that oppresses you, that thing and dysfunction that has been in your life for years or hurts that happened in your past. Now that the glory of Jesus has been revealed to you and the glory of God has built a habit of you coming, now God's glory wants to fill you with His saving, delivering power and presence. You remember when the, the glory filled Solomon's temple? The priest couldn't stand to minister. What's, what's it teaching us? It's reminding us of this pillar of truth. That there's a difference between the omnipresence, God's presence being everywhere, versus when the glory feels and you have a present encounter with the power of His presence. Think about it. Moments before, the priests were fine. They were going about their business. They're standing. But then the glory filled the temple. And they could no longer stand. What do you see? There's a marked difference of this type of sozo, this type of salvation. A salvation that can come right in your present trouble. A salvation, a delivering help of God that can come right in the presence of what you're facing. That God has saving power, not just one day to keep you from an eternity apart from Him. He's got saving power to deliver you from what's trying to keep you from God's victory and best for your life. And we should say, oh, how awesome is this place? This is God's house. Colossians 1 and 24, Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of His body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill, to complete the Word of God. Watch this. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now, everybody say now, has been revealed to His saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Listen, there was a mystery surrounding the church. There was a mystery. And the mystery surrounding the church is one is that God's new covenant people would not just be made up of Jews. That in the new covenant, it's made up of those that are in Christ. That it matters not whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're male or female, whether you're slave or indebted or not indebted, or whether you're young and old. That the mystery of the church is it's made up of those who have responded correctly to God's Son, Jesus Christ. And now part of the mystery is, is that the church is in Christ, but Christ is also in the church. See, the religious of Jesus' day, they asked Him, they say, how will the kingdom come by observation? How will we know? He says it doesn't come through observation. This was part of the mystery of the church. 
is that now the authority and the official business of the king is present on the earth, but it doesn't come initially through observation. The church is in Christ, and God made a way to put Christ in you and I, the church. And so the authority of the king and the ability of the king is within his people. And when we learn to hold to that pillar of truth that Christ is in us, watch this, and because He's in us, He's the hope for more glory being revealed outside of us. He's the hope of glory and change in your home. He's the hope of glory and change in your character. He's the hope of glory and change in your habits. He's the hope for glory and change in the community around us. The hope of glory is Christ in us. The hope for change, that things can be different, that, I'm, that I, in Christ I'm made for more, that, that desire, that thinking you have, it's Christ in you that brings that about. It's not you left to yourself. It's not you left up to your human degrees, your human ability. No, no, the hope for glory is Christ in us. His ability in us. His character in us. Him being who He is and what He does in us. And you know what? The more glory you have, the more heat you can handle. Meaning the more you allow Christ to be your glory, to be your character, to be your strength, to be your sustaining power and ability, the more heat you can handle in life. The more the fiery trials of the enemy, you're able to take up the shield of faith and quench them. The more glory, the more heat you can take. The more glory, the more weight you can carry. The more responsibilities in the kingdom you can carry, the more weight of glory you have. When Caleb and I were at the High Museum of Art there in Atlanta, they have outside of... It's a mirror, but you would categorize it as a sculpture. Come on, who's ever on the keys? And... uh it's a mirror, and it's called the Invisible Man. And it's representing about people of color, how at times they have been like an invisible person, the community around them. And Kayla and I, we took a little picture of ourselves in the mirror, but as I was thinking about that, I thought about the reality of the mystery of the church. And the reality of the difference between biblical Christianity and just religion that there is a hidden, invisible person who is the hope for change, the hope for deliverance. And he's invisible to the natural eye of the world around us, but he lives in you and I. He lives in his body, his people. It's the vision of this church of manifesting Christ, that, that person who's invisible to the nations, but is the hope that they're longing for who is the answer to the greatest searching and depths of man's questions and heart. Manifesting Christ in many ways to many people. I think what a tragedy it would be for us to allow the invisible king, the invisible man, Jesus Christ in us, to not become more visible. To not continue to serve. To not continue to be manifested through our life. Manifested through our words of declaring God's unchanging truth. Uh, 
not be manifested through our hands of serving and giving and being merciful to those around us. Lastly, I want us to look at this pattern in the life of the Apostle Paul that speaks to you and I and God's challenge as we conclude of this journey of the message we've been on in this series. In Galatians 1 and 15, Paul writes, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son, watch this, where? In me. That I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. No, Paul says, when it pleased God to reveal His Son, not outside me. He had already had that encounter. He already had the glory of Jesus revealed to him on the road of Damascus when he was a persecutor of Jesus in the way and the sect of people that followed Jesus. He's talking about that God wants to do something else in your life today, friend. That if you've had the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus, there's still another glory that needs to be revealed to you. And Paul represents this pattern. He said, when it pleased God to reveal His Son in me. He says, I was in Arabia. Arabia is the desert. We know Paul spent three years being discipled by the Lord, unlearning all that he had wrongly interpreted from the Old Testament and learning now the new covenant in Christ and the old in light of the new. And he said, when it pleased God to reveal His Son in me, He was in the desert. He was getting the glory of God revealed not on the outside of Him, but on the inside of Him. So that now, wherever he went, when he looked in the mirror, he he had a Jacob moment. Surely, the Lord is in this place. How awesome is my body. How awesome and fearfully and wonderfully made am I. That the glory of God in Christ is within me. But here's the case. That revelation only happened when he was in a desert. See? The reason why Western Christianity lacks this revelation, this glory of Christ in them, is because we've lived in a country where through natural talents and abilities and circumstances we can achieve and accomplish and have our needs met. And therefore, we've only had a Christianity that's been based on outward. But biblical Christianity is that you've got to get a revelation of the glory of Christ on the inside of you. And it only comes when you get to a place of need. Paul was in the desert. There was no easy convenient stores around him. There was no convenient easy counseling around him. Paul was in a place of desperation. And it's in that place of your greatest need. It's in that place of barrenness. It's in that place of weakness. It's in that place of needing and being aware of your help that God can give you a new revelation. Not of the glory of God up in heaven, Jesus, but now the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you. Because it's Christ in you the hope of change around you. And that's why all through the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 4.29, He says from wherever you are, if you're in the desert, if you're in the valley, if you're in the dry place, if you're in the hurting place, if you're in the dysfunctional place, wherever you are, that if you'll seek the Lord from the place that you're at, if you'll seek Him with all your heart, you will find Him. You'll find He'll reveal the glory of Christ within you. How Christ in you is the hope from that matter to be settled, for that issue to be healed, for that change to take place. Jeremiah 29.13 says, and you will seek Me and find Me when you search for me with your whole heart. 
The reason so many lack this revelation of Christ in them is because so many have never been in a place in America with true need, with a true desperation, with a true hunger, saying, God, if you don't meet me, God, if you don't speak to me, God, if you don't do a work in this area, then God, I can't truly be changed and delivered. I need a present encounter with the power of your presence in this area of my life. Because He only feels those that are hungry and thirsty. See, the curse of religion is actually having no need of God. And churches are filled all across America right now where people are actually eating the curse of religion. They're living off the knowledge of good and evil. But do you remember in Genesis 3, when they ate the fruit off the knowledge of good and evil, it still brought death. And some of you saying, listen, I've been coming to gatherings. I know right and wrong. I know good and evil. But I'm still dying on the inside. I'm still dying in this habit. Dying in this destruction. Just dying in this dysfunction. And you need to understand, oh, you're eating from the curse. But there's another tree. His name is Jesus. And now the life that broke out when He gave up His body. His Spirit now lives on the inside of you. And God wants to give you a revelation of Christ in you. Where you live not dependent just on the knowledge of good and evil. You live dependent on the very life of the present power of Christ on the inside of you. Paul then goes from the revelation of Christ in him to in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and 10. Come on, man. Of Christ living through him. And this is the pattern. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building according to the grace of God, which was given to me. As a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Here you see the progression. The progression of Christ in you, to then Christ through you. Here you see the progression of the glory of Christ revealed that He's on the inside of you, to then having the glory, His grace gifts, His spiritual gifts, His call, build through you something for His namesake. It's Christ in you, but He lives in you so He can live through you. This is the divine design for discipleship process of getting the revelation of Christ in you so that then Christ can live through you. That you move from surely the Lord is in this place to what Solomon then said. I surely have built for you. Do you know that God, through His grace gifts and the glory of His spiritual gifts in your life, He wants you to build something for Him? And you're not doing it alone. That's why He gave you the gifts. You're building it with God. You're building it by God. And you're building it for God. What I'm trying to tell you is every member of the body of Christ, you got a ministry. What are you building for God? If you're not building something from God, then you need to understand you're in the desert whether you know it or not. And you need a revelation of your spiritual giftedness. You need a revelation of the ministry and the expression of Christ living through you that God's called so that you go from glory revealed to glory builds. Why? Because then when that ministry, then when that expression of Christ comes forth for your life, then you recognize the pattern. 
God gave me this ministry. He gave me this connect group. He gave me this growth phase group. He gave me this, this outreach team because now He wants to fill it with His glory. He wants to reveal Jesus through this. He wants to fill it with people and hungry people. Look around at this place. Is there still open seats? Listen to the pattern of God. It's the glory revealed. It's the glory built. Now the glory wants to fill. God wants to fill every seat with a person that is seeking and hurting and searching or that is saved and yet don't know that they can have present and Encounters with God's power. It's the pattern, friend. The glory reveals, the glory builds, and then the glory feels. Notice Paul said, by the grace of God, as a wise master builder, I built. That grace, that's, that's His glory, that's His charisma, that's His anointing, that's His spiritual gifts that God gives us. Here's my question for you, friend. Here's where we, the trip we were on. Here's the destination. What can Christ accomplish through you? I didn't ask what you can accomplish on your own for Him. I didn't ask what you can do living off the curse of religion, of the knowledge of good and evil for Him. No, no. I'm asking you, what can Christ accomplish through you? What can Christ accomplish through you? The one who revealed the glory of God through supernatural works. Listen, I'm not talking about you just living a moral life. I'm not talking about you just having good character and good morals and, and living a moral life and, and having a good worth ethic and having just good finances. I'm talking about what can Christ supernaturally accomplish through you. I'm talking about what can the supernatural work of God do through your money, through your finances, through your hands, through your mouth. I'm talking about not just talking about God. God and teaching about God in a knowledge way. I'm talking about what can Christ supernaturally teach through you and reveal the hearts and minds of people around you. What aspect of the ministry of Jesus Christ are you involved in? You need to be able to answer, friend, before you stand before God. Because you can't let Him build it through you if you don't know it before. But you need to know the answer. What is your ministry in Christ? Ephesians 4 says every part's got a role. Every part's got an aspect of how Christ wants to live through you. It's not just through me. It, it's for all of us. Glory revealed, glory builds, and then He wants the glory to feel. You say, well, Pastor Chad, I don't know my spiritual gift. Listen, listen, listen. Get around ministry. Get serving to know your spiritual gift. Christ doesn't work through us when we're not in a position to serve and in a position of where He's already ministering. And then once you know your spiritual gift, watch this, direction for ministry comes. He don't send people to minister to the hurting, to the marginalized, that He don't give the gift of mercy to. Meaning once you know your gift, that begins to give you direction in what type of the ministry of Jesus Christ He wants you to build and allow Christ to build through you. Maybe you need to read the book, Building with Balance. If you make it to the end, the whole last end, all about this process. But listen to me, friends. Here's the pattern. Glory revealed. Glory builds. Glory feels.
And some of you, maybe you're in your Arabia, maybe you're in your desert, and God's brought you to this place by His mercy and love so that you would realize that there is a biblical Christianity that's deeper than just living on, the, on, on knowledge of good and evil outside of you. That there is a glory, a revelation of the supernatural ability of Christ in you. And from that revelation of Christ in you, you can move to then how Christ wants to build through you. He wants to minister through you. He wants to build something through you for His kingdom for His glory, for His namesake. And then once it's built, you can begin to trust that God's glory wants to fill it. He wants to fill it with the provisions necessary. He wants to fill it with the workmen's necessary. He wants to fill it with the divine connections and the hungry people that's necessary. Because what is the pattern, friend? Glory revealed. Say it with me. Glory revealed. Glory builds. And glory fills. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.